Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello, and you are very welcome to the Letter from Ireland podcast. This is Mike Collins here, and today's episode is called Old Irish Culture and Traditions. Now, let me explain. So, I guess we're going back, um, it's almost two years ago now, we visited Inish Moor, which is the largest of the Aran Islands, just off the west coast of Ireland there, outside County Galway, outside County Clare. And it's a very, very special place indeed. You see, it's a place that I believe is a microcosm of the way Ireland was back in the, I guess, the mid-1800s, right up to the early 1900s. You still have Irish spoken every day as an, a natural language among the people who live there. And you still have, I think, kind of a very close access to a lot of the old Irish culture and traditions. And thankfully for us, you have some very, very good guides there as well who can bring you around the island and actually chat about some of these traditions. And our guide on the day was a man called Cyril O'Flaherda, a local who is an absolutely gem of a gentleman who took his time to tell us everything about, uh, I, I guess, that might be of interest to our listeners. Uh, to bring us to the far nooks and crannies of the island, and I think most importantly, to give his own living perspective on a lot of the traditions that he actually chatted about. So he took Karina and myself around the island, so you'd hear the two of us chatting on this particular show, and also to say that we originally recorded this for our Green Remembers back uh, almost two years ago now, but we thought, you know, it'd be great to actually bring it to the wider audience and share it on the podcast as well. Through the show, we actually have three lovely pieces of Irish music in the original Irish, and we'll come to the first of those in a few moments. But just to say that um, as we actually chat during the show, you'll hear a mention of videos below the podcast. Now, what we've done for our listeners just now is if you go to the actual show notes page, which can be found on a letterfromireland.com forward slash 729, that's a letterfromireland.com forward slash 729, we'll actually include all of the videos that we actually refer to during the show. So they're there for you to have a look at um, when you're finished listening. How's that sound? So over to our first piece of music now, and it's the gloaming with the old Irish classic, Casa on Tugan. The Casa Kalinda Sorom and Wagenis Erluibna quilles glisship wood of yogrim law. Shin raguru hog shiluum kukunagos got law. Tan sail nagal is bogomish on sushin wan. Smahavinto. A story in Mohri Smahavian to Luam Bilus Gorti Mahavian to Luam Skarluam Gahor Lochtet Hri Shemavila 
knuck nach
Casa Antugan there, beautifully sung by Irla or Leonard and performed there by The Gloaming. Now, Karina, the actual focus of today is all about old, old Irish culture and traditions. Yeah. And as we said earlier, actually, we had the fabulous benefit of, first of all, visiting the Aran Islands, which is very much what we consider a microcosm of a lot of what Ireland would have been like down to the last number of centuries with a brilliant guide, Cyril O'Flaherty. And um, as Cyril actually showed us around the island, there was lots of kind of places and he took us to and traditions he actually recounted. But we were very struck by the following conversation, Karina, when he was chatting about his surname and suddenly he saw a neighbour of his. Yeah, well, we were walking up the stony road up towards the Black Fort and there was his neighbour, Stevie Joyce, and they just broke into Irish and Stevie was there preparing his potatoes. And the Irish word you might listen out to in the conversation is when Cyril tells, asks him or remarks, I suppose, on his fatty ma. Now, we know ma is good and fatty are potatoes. So have a listen out for that. And it was just lovely to hear them break from Gaelica into Berla or Irish into English and back again, really at ease with the language. Um, but the problem was in our household was everybody was Patrick John and Michael O'Flaherty yes. and then the post was getting cross and everything was getting cross and my mother decided right I'm not calling them let them call them something totally different so they had to go so the way, A's and B's across they had to go yeah, for C yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have a TV? hello how are you? 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 how are and folks, just to say that below this particular episode, you can actually see a number of videos we actually recorded as well, which contain those conversations. So if you want to see what went on, as well as actually just hear the actual words, have a look down below. So now, how about we go on and further along, Cecil explained to Cyril explained to us how they made land. And my goodness, when I heard about this, how they made land, cupful, as he said, by cupful, I was really impressed by the people of the island. Yeah, just to say, folks, to put this into context, um, you're talking about going back to the time when a lot of the actual old Gaelic people were banished to the very, very poor lands to the west of Ireland and onto the islands. And there they encountered, well, essentially extremely poor land that somehow they actually had to reclaim. So it was either just bare rock, as in the case of the Iron Islands, like we're just about to see now, or just very boggy land, that, that sort of thing, very stony land. And they had to somehow make do. So in this, as Queen says, in this particular conversation, um, the Cyril is actually giving a beautiful demonstration of how land was actually made on the Aran Islands. And again, you can see it in the video below. If I heard you mention a word there, Cyril, Stokal, which yeah. is an Irish word for... Can you to tell make us land. Making yeah, land. To make land, yeah. Now, yeah. looking around us, I imagine that would be really important to make land. Because yeah. what, what have you got here on the topography only? Uh, well, we've got like, from a land, I suppose, it would have once been rich in timber and you had plenty of resources when it came to hazel woods. And there there are records, and we know from, from pollen studies that there was oak, yew, alder, scots, pine growing here in the earlier period of time. They say that the last trees from the forest were cut down sometime in the 1700s back in Gortagopal and there is names still like the word Ochel, Ochel, like in Cork, Yall. Yes, uh, yeah. it, 
means yeah. the, the yew, yew tree. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. So that's Ochail up on the hill up there. Yeah. Um, but when they cut down a lot of these trees and the overgrazing with sheep and stuff, and there would have been thousands of sheep, of course, we were well known for the production of wool. Um, we, in, in, in inevitably, I suppose, we, we, unknown to ourselves, we were, we were making the land worse. Now, in some areas, it was scarred anyway from the, from the ice and everything had taken all the soil away. And all you so had was a, a all rock. you had is rock, right? Yeah. And the soil had washed down into the crevices, you know. And there are instances where the soil has been taken up. In the Man of Iron, the movie The Man of Iron, you see her going down with the hands and pulling up the soil out of the crevice and then closing it over. But the idea is to... So every bit of soil was precious. Every bit. If it was a cup of soil, it was precious. And the more cups you made, you know. Where, where the composting idea, when it starts, I can't be sure. But I'm sure it's very old. You know, the idea of taking seaweed and putting it somewhere, letting it rot. Because it's full of the, the, the nutrients that you need. But the idea is that you take your square off. Now, there is a big question. Why? The big question is, why is this made so many small fields? Well, if you've only got 14 acres of land, mm -hmm. you've got to rotate that, you know, properly. So you make smaller sections, one for barley, one for oats, for rye, for potatoes. The cow and the donkey need to be fed as well, you know. So that's why there's so much small sections of land and on the island. And you've plenty of stones plenty for of stone making your, make walls. your walls. Yes, yeah. 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 Now, the idea of the wall itself is, is, is you know, Neolithic. They, that was transported here. You find it in Croatia, Greece, everywhere you go, there's a stone wall. Mm. Palestine, there's stone walls everywhere. So we didn't come up with that idea, but it was transported here. But the idea is that you go into your piece of land, you take the top layer of stone off, which is loosely loose like this. Look at this behind me. And these so would be the look, farm makers. Away easy oh, enough. Yes. Look. Yes. So, and they would take that away yeah. and they would transport it into the walls, of course. And any debris left over, which would be the small flint like this, see this stuff here, be a lot of that left over. That goes into this crevice like so, okay? Yes. And you need to fill it in because and because if you're coming along with anything else after that, it's going to wash down back into the crevices. Now, some of these crevices can be 10, 15 foot deep in some areas, you know? Yes. Some of them may be three foot, maybe a foot. So you want to keep that precious so you want soil, to soil up top, <laughs> up right? Top. Yeah. yeah. So what you're doing then is this, it's not usually mentioned, but what they would do then is underneath the cliffs and underneath the terraces to the north in particular of the island all the soil that was washing down over the millennia has built up like a slope like that underneath them and because it doesn't get sunlight it's turned into mud it's a wattle a heavy heavy kind of like clay. dense clay you can make pottery from it with the right mixture you can actually make pottery with it that was hauled up with donkeys and baskets first and put over those crevices when that was neatly done now and everything filled in properly that was packed into those well and truly packed down into those holes wow. right because that was your polyfiller Right, or your 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 skim coat, your if you base. want to call it that. Yeah. Then you went to the seashore and you hauled up as much seaweed and sand as you possibly could to enrich that soil. And the first year you didn't do much. Some guys may sow a potato garden in the first, but usually you left it, and then after the first year you turned it over and you started to make your land with it in that manner. And right? you made your own field. You made your own land composting. You know? And that was the name, that Irish name, and the Stokal, to make land. Stokal. Yeah. Yeah, to make land and, and it's hard work you said that two families came in here at the time of the famine yeah. or, and they were farm makers they were farm makers they were landless people and what they would be given was they would be given a small plot of land to build a cottage on right um, usually close enough to water or whatever you know in a village situation now when I say a small cottage some of them were maybe a two room cottage with a, with okay. a big loft you know yes. and you could have five or six maybe ten kids living in that yeah, one yeah. little bohan as you want if you want to call it and that were there particular families do you know there's there are there's some of there's O'Flaherty's still on the island today who, who were part of these landers there's a, quite a few of them you know yeah. who came in some lived in hovel, look, hollows in rocks and caves and stuff like that for the first couple of years and like it wasn't the, the comfort was just a place to live more and a, and a roof over 
over your head. Yeah. Um, but they then were employed, they would be given, we'll say, the first year they were given a piece of ground to put in their garden and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in return for that place to build your cottage and a place to have your spuds and your rye or whatever you needed, in return for that, you had to do so much land making for that farmer. Oh, it was yes. a barter. Okay. Right? Okay. So their job was to make land and build walls for this other family. And then eventually that would be returned back into the farmer's land. It was always in his name. Or if they got a little bit wealthier, maybe they would buy another buy piece it. of land, an old barren piece of land and turn yeah. it into into something into something, you know. So um but very poor. Fish would have been their main diet. So fishing in the summer, land making in winter. winter. I know one family who used to work, they'd fish, my father told me about them, they'd fish all day long. Um, they'd come in maybe about on a summer's evening about 8, 9 o'clock in the evening and they'd turn their hand on a moonlit night we'll say with a good full moon and you know days long you light out here till half 10 at night if you had a moon maybe 1 o'clock 2 o'clock in the morning you could still work up to then and they'd transfer from fishing all day to building walls at night time and they had scaffolding up and they were building what we call kadachons walls with huge amounts of stone in them and you need scaffolding to go you know stands and you put your stones up and then you build these walls and that's what they were doing right up and then again by 5 or 6 in the morning Morning, going out to sea again and back and, and doing that. So it well, was <laughs> that was that was hard work, and you yeah. hung you hung on to your land. You did. You, you hung on to your land. Yeah, it was it, it was it your was, everything. It was yeah. hard earned. Yeah, yeah. hard earned. Yeah. Well, one can only imagine how hard that life was for our Irish ancestors, fishing all day until really late, and coming back then and making some land. To, to live upon. And you know, Queenie, we think we're very hard at the moment, but really puts things into context, doesn't it? One of the traditions, I suppose, that sustained people in Ireland was the idea of a pilgrimage. And you know what? I mean, it, it was a very ancient thing as such, because, you know, when you go back to all those monastic sites around Ireland and so on, you found out that people actually came from the continent of Europe to these various places to actually pilgrimage, maybe once in their life, maybe once a year, that sort of thing. But it was that idea where people picked up, they went somewhere else, they followed a pattern of some sort, and they actually just reflected on their lives so far. And I think uh, Cyril here tells us about the special name they gave to that pilgrimage here on the island, and it was called the Illilocht. So you can listen out for that word as he's talking about the pilgrimage of walking around the island. So there, there are many traditions held by the people over the years, yeah. uh, Cyril, and one of them that you discovered, I suppose, did you for yourselves, yourself yeah. and your family, yourself and your wife, that you, you do every year, yeah. is the is it the tradition of walking around the island? Yeah. There is, there's the Illidacht, as they call it, or, or a pilgrimage. Um, it almost vanished, and it was Tim Robinson um, who recently passed that put me wise to it, uh, of an old man during the 18, 1821 census uh, that he had stopped to exhaustion while doing the pilgrimage of the island. Um, his book then was called, subsequently, The Pilgrimage, uh, uh, when he wrote The Stones of Iron. The book one is Pilgrimage, and the second is The Labyrinth. But so he came across that idea of yeah. pilgrimage for the, for the first time, For really, the first time, it? for a long, long time, yeah, yeah he just, he, he so we then took it on upon ourselves to try the pilgrimage and uh, we were now we we, we we sussed it out for the last three years you know how to do it and what's how, what's the best way to do it so now we're actually opening it up to people to come and walk the pilgrimage you know it's and not for the faint hearted this is walking this is walking we've done a lot of walking today yeah. now no, over a very rubbly is, ground and yeah. stone yeah so it's walking the whole perimeter the whole circumference yeah and you do it in your own time I mean you can do it over a three four day period but you need three or four days to do it properly you need three or four days because it's a long walk it's an arduous walk I mean it's not meant to be easy anyway is it yes. you know um, 
um, and it can be on the north coast it's quite slippery but, but it's it's so rewarding you know um, you start on the Gregory Sound it's it, Gregory the Hermit it's, it's associated with him and then you walk the back of the island following again the course of the sun all the way until you get to the other pinnacle which is known as Gregory's Rock okay. and then you start there again and you come all the way along and then we stop off at certain points like this to do the rounds to give thanks at and then Saint, back in uh, St. Kieran's well yeah, yeah yeah and St. Kieran's yeah. Church yeah so it's a beautiful place there's other wells in of course this one I there is no real cure associated with this one but we'll say there's the Church of the Four Beauties or the Four Comely Saints um, and that has the Well of the Eyes and the Well of the Ears and then the Well of the Saints there's three yes. holy wells in that particular round and again it's the same idea except there are different points along that John Millington sings uh, when he talks about there's one of the the, the, the the plays and it's about the little blind boy who comes from oh, Connemara and that's actually at the, for the cure and that's at yeah. the Well of the Eyes that all takes place at that and I know of people who've had who've had cures there yes, you know yes, and in yes. my father's time I remember my father meeting people and this is only going back 20 years of a lady he brought there and another friend of hers and they went and she was suffering from a degenerative eye condition she went there and the next two years later she came back to my father and she says Patrick I see you and he goes oh God I can see you too he forgot all about her but he was he was the lady he brought to the thing and she was cured because she and the doctors couldn't figure out why she was cured but she was cured at this little well so there's something in it you know um, but your faith has to be strong I yes. think your faith has to be strong. Yeah. You know, there's no point unless you really focus and and, and your faith is strong. Well, yeah. the best of luck with the with the walk around the island. Yeah, what yeah. Did, give me the word again. The illilacht. Uh, illilacht. Yeah. 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 The yeah. best of luck yeah. with that. All right. I'm sure, it'll grow. Yeah, uh, yeah, it will indeed. It will indeed. Yeah. Yeah. You get like that. You know, these things are they're a good thing for people. I think in the world we live in today,
there we had the very lively Ida's jig. I think uh, getting all our toes tapping awakening us up there for a little bit at least, Karina. Now, um, as we continue with our tour, and it's a, a very literal tour as well as actually um, kind of a tour through kind of ideas and history and culture and traditions, uh, we have dealt with a lot of the old, but I think now we're actually going to deal with some of the young, Karina. Yes, I wonder what life was like on the island and what it's like living on an island for a young person. So we had the opportunity here to chat with Ashling, and Ashling is a young islander, but she's a very special one at that. So here we are on the wonderful Aran Islands, and I'm speaking here. Tia Gwit Ashling, Kunastatu. Now, I'm under a little bit of pressure here because Ashling lives here, and we're visiting and staying with her mum in this wonderful place called Tigena, is it? I think we're. Ordena, yeah. Ordena. Yeah. And Ord means up high, and as you can see from the beautiful view, we are up high. So, Ashling, tell me a little bit about your family here living on the island. Uh, well, there's five of us in the family, myself, my brothers and my mom and dad. So there's, um, it's unusual kind of living on the island. Like we have, I suppose, a smaller family compared to those who have the five or six in the family. But I suppose the nice and small also. So. All right. So that's a small family. <laughs> well, and, and this is, and this is, um, this is a girl talked as well, of course. So would you have been brought up speaking Irish and English? Um, yeah, I suppose my dad's from Galway, so he was kind of raised with English, but mom was raised through Irish as well, so it's a big, bit of mixture in the house, but it's a good mixture between Irish and English. And in school here, there's a local school on the island, you attended that obviously? Uh, yeah, I did. So it's a Gael school, so it's all through Irish, the subjects and everything were taught through Irish. So And the Iron Islands is part of the Gaeltacht yeah, as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. And this is the biggest island of the Iron Islands, in Ishmoor, yeah. and uh, this is a very populated island actually, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, But still, it must have been a change. You're in Galway University now when you headed off to the university, was it, from here? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a change. I suppose you're going from a class of 15 to maybe a lecture hall of 300 students. So it is a big change. So I'm studying Irish and sociology and politics. So kind of with the arts, it's kind of a bigger course. So that kind of change in ratio of numbers it's very different <laughs> oh absolutely and you said that the irish there's lots of different dialects because when mike and i were around today now around the island we heard the local speaking irish <laughs> and i can pick up a certain amount of it but it seems to be almost sta- you know staccato type of uh, language i don't know is it is it a different dialect obviously here i suppose you have the dialects of monster Connacht, ulster and then like the mead irish and stuff but then you have the connemara irish the island Irish like the horn like we have I suppose different ways of saying words we wouldn't notice ourselves but when you're having a conversation with someone just simple stuff like I'm trying to think in school I think in Munster they would say Carpedachus or something. We'd say yes. Carpedachus. So like a just different pronunciation. pronunciation. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it's nothing too major. You'd understand once you get into the rhythm of it. But just a different word. Yeah. Now, Ashling, when we were here a few years ago, your mum was telling us that you were a great sports person. And I remember that. And I asked her how you were doing. And you've been doing brilliantly. Tell us a little bit about what you've get, been getting up to as a lady from the islands. <laughs> well, I suppose when you are here last, I think I was more into the cycling but sure with everything it was very hard to keep up with it just that I'd have to do a lot of traveling with it so I kind of then went more towards the handball 
and I've since then I kind of took off with the sport. I'm an intermediate player, so I've kind of competed in the World Championships and in like All Ireland series and stuff. So oh, I wouldn't that's <laughs> well, I wouldn't be going too <laughs> good now, but I I've been up there like so it's good. No, yeah. don't be hiding your light <laughs> under a bushel. That is fantastic. Is it unusual for somebody from the islands to be playing handball to that level, you know, to All Ireland level? Uh, I suppose a little bit like you are dedicated, like you have to kind of maintain like training so you have to organize games going to the mainland and having to maybe stay overnight it's been a little bit of easier in college because I don't have to travel that far the games are there but when I'm living at home I kind of have to pre-organize to get training games or even if I have a game I have to know if it's in the evening time I'll have to find accommodation or someone to stay with or even I'm lucky that I have a base in Galway but otherwise you kind of want to organize you really have to be organized I think you must be a very organized lady <laughs> and is it is it also unusual as a la- as a woman let's say to be at the forefront there of those games well I suppose it is in any way like especially this year they're trying to do the 20 by 20 campaign so it's promoting women's sport so it's kind of like I like to be like a small little bit of a role model for the younger girls on the island that they can achieve this level if they want to, if they put the time into it. I suppose for male sport, it's so easy to join a club here and there. We're here on the island, we're very limited. We're lucky now in the last two years that the women's team have reformed again. So the girls now, we don't have to go and join a different club on the mainland. (laughs) Go Colleen, yeah. go so the we, girls. Yeah, we have yeah. our own team now, so it's great. Well, listen, Gaurav Ashling, thanks for chatting to me. It's been lovely and we're really enjoying our time here <laughs> in Inishmore on the Iron Islands. So, uh, Ashleen, uh, absolutely wonderful girl there. I, I, you know, Karina, I'm just kind of thinking it's, um, you know, we're talking about culture and traditions here and a very, very large part of Irish culture and traditions is just what Ashley was actually referring to there was the sport of handball, uh, Gaelic games such as football and hurling, uh, camogie and so on. And she seems to be probably involved in most of them at this point. But of course, they're very, very ancient games. But there was a huge revival there in the late 1800s, which would have actually brought pitches, handball courts and so on just had them springing up all over the country. And I guess it's only as of late, lately, last last 15 years, that you've really seen women involved in what was very much a man's sport in the past. So fabulous to see that. Now we're continuing on around the island. And I think yourself and Cyril came across something very interesting. Well, we discovered two wonderful plants under our feet. And Cyril tells us a little bit more about them here. But just before we do that... Just remember, folks, what you do in an island when you actually don't have access to a hospital, when you don't have access to all of those things, you have to find your own cures, basically, I guess, Green, in the first place. You have to find your own way of actually looking after those kind of broken legs, those things going on in your stomach. Cuts and and gashes. Absolutely, you know. And that's the one thing I actually noticed. Although Cyril actually carried a first aid kit with him, he was probably just as able to spot the right plants in the right place to deal with the right things. So this is a medicinal plant, I think you've spotted it is, here, yeah, Cyril. Yeah, it's very good for, in the world we live in today, and brought, you know, we're talking about lungs and the COVID-19 and everything, but this is an old plant. My father told me about this one, and it, I've seen it recently, you know, you can watch it, get it on YouTube and everything, how to use it properly. Oh, it's soft. But it's soft, right? Now, one re- one thing that was great for, seeing you're saying it's soft, toilet paper. Oh. 
right? If you're out in the wild. So what's the name of this one? This is Quinilwida in Irish, or Mary's Candle, because it grows a long stem and it's, it's a yellow flower on top. But it's mullen, the mullen plant. Um, but it's, it's leaves, like in this state, its leaves now are very good. What you do is you take two or three leaves, would do you, break them up to a small, strip them out, like if I was doing this, break them up into yes. like that, put them in a teapot, and make a tea from them or a strainer. You know, you could make you know, those teapots with a little strainer in yes. them, built into them, and drink it as a tea. And it cleans all the mucus out of your body. So it will actually, any mucus down in your chest, it'll bring it up, it'll clear it all out. So it's very good for the lungs. For anybody with bronchial problems or anything like that, Native American Indians would smoke it a lot after smoking uh, anything else they were smoking. This was used for that. And again, for toilet paper and for hemorrhoids. Well, I I would use it for the toilet paper. They talk about cashels. There's another great plant which is conveniently beside it actually. This is ribworth. You'll always know ribworth. This is your key to ribworth. You'll yes, find it. Yes. But ribworth is also slon loose, is the Irish name for it, right? And if you look carefully at it, it's got a lot of little fibres in it, right? See them? The tiny yes. little fibres. You take it, you chew it, right? You chew it up into a pulp, right, mm-hmm. in your mouth. Um, you can do usually do it yourself, or somebody else can do it, but generally do it yourself because of your own saliva. If you had a very bad, deep gash, you fell now when I cut my hand off that and I got in there and I got a big gash, Put this in and make that pulp. Put it in there. It's ribboard. It stops. It can. It's, it's a coagulant. It'll stop. So it stops It'll stop eating. blood. Yeah, it's wow. a, a big one for that. And that's why it's called slon loose or the healthy herb or you know healthy herb. Wow. That's the name of that one. There's now two we, there for you. Now we've got two herbs there right beside right, each right beside other. you. Yeah, well, would you believe last night? I must admit, Karina, when we came back from the trip to the Iron Islands there, it had me going straight into town and getting some of those uh, mullen uh, tincture, actually, and uh, I think it's actually been very useful so far. Now, as we went and continued our trip with Cyril, he made a very, very, very interesting point about returning people. Yeah, well, I suppose our conversation with uh, Cyril throughout the day was peppered with stories from older people that he'd heard or stories from his father. And one of those stories and the, that linked to the culture of the island, Mike, was was one that really stayed with us, didn't it? Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, folks, if you think about this, you know, everybody listening to this has uh, people of, you know, you're of Irish ancestry. So you have lots of Irish ancestors and you have lots of, let's say, cousins out there, many of which actually... You know, well, basically, you could say it's like kind of a shoal of fish leaving the island in the first place, all all of us. But this story is all about that kind of wisdom that said, you know what, one or two or three of you will make your way home eventually. So over to Cyril now with his story. Tell us the story, Cyril, there that you just mentioned about people being drawn back to their original, original place. places. Yeah, uh, my your dad said. My dad yeah. had a story. Yeah, that the old people on the island said that we were like a salmon, or we're like a, a swallow, you know, or the cuckoo. That one person in seven generations will return to where. So that first person will say, it "Was you or was I left this island?" And we went off to to North America, to Canada, yes. wherever we went to South yeah. America, even. That somewhere in all of those branches of people, all of those different routes that are sent out, that somebody from all of those will make their way back to where they originally belonged and start again. Well, yeah. I think I think we see those swallows returning in yeah. our own in our own life work. as well. Yeah. In our yeah. own work, yeah. that's a lot yeah. of what we do. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> Time, she's a
Oh, dear. 
Seamus Begley, Seamus O'Begliuch, with Tomsha Imcolla in the original Irish. Beautiful, beautiful piece of music. And that's the third of our pieces we feature today on our special Old Irish Culture and Traditions show. So I hope you really enjoyed the trip around the Aran Islands, uh, a little bit like a trip back in time, I think, as well, to many of the actual traditions that would have been familiar to many of our shared Irish ancestors. Cyril O'Flaherty, what do you think of him, folks? Isn't he wonderful? Such a gentleman taking the time to explain, um, I suppose, kind of things from his own particular understanding and perspective, not just the actual dry words passed down through the actual uh, decades. So really appreciate his particular interpretation of things. And, of course, uh, Karina, thank you very much. And the various people actually took part, knowingly or unknowingly, in this particular show. So remember, as I mentioned, we've actually put the videos um, that we refer to during the show down there on the show notes page, which you can find at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 729. That's a letterfromireland.com forward slash 729. Now, we're actually going to take a break of two weeks. So if you're listening to this show live, it's uh, coming up the end of uh, July. This show is going out on the 21st of July. So you won't actually have a Letter from Ireland podcast over the next two weeks, but we do look forward to joining you again in about three weeks' time for the next episode of the Letter from Ireland podcast. So look forward to seeing you then. Slán for now. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our Green Room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. Because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina. <laughs>